Hi, and welcome to our podcast, Bodies and Souls, Conversations for the Jewish Woman. My name is Sarah. I'm a certified teacher and school leader. I'm passionate about education and Torah and Hasidus. My name is Rifki. I am a certified nurse, midwife, and college teacher. I am passionate about using our bodies and our innate spiritual abilities to serve Hashem in the most healthy and complete way possible. Together, we are pleased to present to you Bodies and Souls, fascinating and informative conversations for you, the Jewish woman. Our aim is to provide you with multidimensional information that will inform and inspire you to be the best version of yourself, supporting your bodies and souls as they strive to be the very best in fulfilling our ultimate potential in bringing Mashiach now. Good morning and welcome to this episode of Bodies and Souls. Your hosts for today are Rifki Boyarski and Sarah Lowenthal. This episode is generously sponsored by Tovito. Tovito is the best app that you can get your kids. It is a website and an app full of Jewish kids entertainment. So if I tell you that this keeps my kids busy, I promise you if you see any of my work out there, it's because of Tovito. Um, it is simple. It is safe. It is kosher entertainment in the best way possible. Possible. So if you want to get your kids off YouTube and you want to get your kids onto Jewish content, we're talking about really, really high quality 3D animation, live action films, music, constantly, constantly adding new videos. And in time for Hanukkah, there is a live action movie that's coming out about the Maccabees in the year 2022. Super cool idea. So this is a great gift that you can get yourself You can for, for your own quiet. You can get it for your grandchildren. You can get it for friends, neighbors. Um, I know that my friends got it for me when I had a kid in the NICU. This is literally the best thing. Um, so it's $99 a year, which is really, really a steal of a deal because you're not going out and buying videos every single day. But we have 15% off um, you can use code body souls. We're going to put it in the show notes and you can definitely gift this for yourself, um, for people that you love, because this is really the gift that keeps on giving. So without further ado, today we have a very, very special guest, Ronnie Rosen. Ronnie founded and established A-Time. A-Time is now reaching their 30th year and it's a monumental organization, which Ronnie will start by telling us a little bit about. Hi everybody. Thank you for inviting me, Sarah and Risky. Um, this is such an amazing show to be part of. Um, so yeah, I have the close of being the founder of the very first organization out there for couples going through infertility. Originally when we you know, started a time, the reason we named it a time um, was because the word infertility or fertility was not, was not said. I remember naming our organization and wanting to be the Jewish Fertility Association, and they said, oh, no one's ever going to say that. So we hid our name in an acronym, a time, a Torah infertility medium of exchange, and it came from the Nahama from Kohelet, from the time to be born. We got to be known at time over the years. It's cute because sometimes people will tell me, that is something amazing. Why don't you use the Pasuk and Kohelas like there is a time? <laughs> Our original literature did say there is a time to be born. So that's where our name come, came from. Um, our original mission was to be there for couples going through infertility with whatever, whatever we could possibly do. From the initial referral, uh, hand-holding, patient liaison, whatever they possibly needed to get through this journey quicker. Um, I look at us like sometimes like waves. 
where my journey is not lost, people's journeys are not lost, because this information is brought together in a full-service organization to help shorten the journey to the dream, a baby. Wow, thank you for explaining that. It's so interesting to hear about the name as well. And it's true, when you have a name that has a positive twist to it or like a neutral connotation, I can imagine that it's not as scary for people to approach you. A name could sometimes be a turnoff. How did you, what's your personal story? How did you yourself and your husband personally get involved? So here we were, uh, married a few years. We went to see our Rebbe, our Shlema, and we said, you know, we need a doctor. And he sent us to a couple that didn't have children for seven or eight years. And they had a baby. He said, why don't you go to their doctor? And when we called them, they said, oh, we have no, we never went through infertility. And when we said to the Rebbe, they, it must have been the wrong number. He said, why can't they just give you their doctor? And he himself gave us the doctor. I remember going to our very first visit. We waited three months to see this doctor. And on the train, I remember talking about, like, if we never have children, could we adopt? Um, and then we get to Columbia Presbyterian. And we walk in and we're like, we're here to see Dr. Fox. And they said, oh, he died yesterday. And I remember, like, it was sort of character from my husband. He was like, how could he die on us? No one ever said anything. We waited three months for this appointment. Really not his type at all. And then it turned out we were at the wrong Dr. Fox. We ended up going to Riverdale. We were a young color couple. We didn't have a car. We went by train, bus, car service. We went to Riverdale, and the Dr. Fox in Riverdale said that he's not the right doctor for us either. I remember coming back on the train. We were so tired and hungry and sad, and we had no one to call. And I remember saying to my husband, does this make any sense that there are so many organizations in college who are so wonderful, and there's no one for us? And that's when we made a promise that if Hashem helps us and we have a baby, that there's nothing we would hold back, that we would do whatever we can for someone on their journey. Of course, my passion was always the doctor, the medical part. Um, and then Baruch Hashem through like, you know, different steps in our journey, we went on to have my son. The hard part, I think, also looking back a lot, is not running away from that infertility. You just want to disappear into the world of mommies and toppies. But I remember lighting my first Shabbos, lighting candles, and adding that little candle for my son, Maishi. And I remember crying. It still makes me cry. You know, thank you, Hashem, for the suchas. And also crying for all the people out there that don't have the suchas. And I remembered our promise. I remember Friday night telling my husband, we made a promise. And we said we have to do something. It was only after we had our son that we attempted to do anything. And um, I met, I was lucky to meet two other women. When we first thought it, we were three women. I met Slurry Newman and Blimey Steinberg. And we became a time, but we were so scared of doing this. My mother kept saying, you'll have, you have your children. Who's going to marry them? You're so outspoken. We were so driven. You can't imagine, like looking back, it's almost 28 years, 20, now it's 29 years when we, when we said, look, change the law in the state of New York, and we marched down Fifth Avenue with empty carriages. We were crazy. But we stopped at one point and we said, let's get a Gadol Haskama. And we decided 
the three of us, after we named the organization, after we became legal, um, of course, we all had different visions about what a time is going to be. I wanted to be a great medical referral agency, so we like the support group type of thing, all the support. Um, but we need was intellectual. Let's teach people. Let's bring information. Um, we really established at the very beginning a helpline, and every program that we added came from a need. But the very, very beginning. So we decided we had a meeting and we decided that we need to see Rapam. The problem was Rapam wasn't seeing anybody. We said, look, if Rapam gives us a Hasgama, then the whole world is going to accept us. And then maybe I'll marry off my children, like my mother is like. <laughs> anyway, so it happens to be that the year we started a time, the three of us, we were all blessed with the baby. So when we were going to people for money, I had twins. My twins are as old as, as the organization. When I was going to people for money, we were, they were like, this is a fertility organization. It was like a bracha right away that we were helped. But our story with Rav Pao was so crazy because my cousin worked in Tarbadas and she said, I said, how can I get an apartment to see Rav Pam? And um, she said, he gives a shear once a month. He gives a shear to the whole base medrash. Come to the shear and sit outside the shear and and maybe when they see you, they might give you an appointment. So here we were, the three of us. And when I think of the site, I think we were pretty, like, I think it's funny almost. The three of us, I said, if we get to see Rapam, then my baby's getting a bracha. I brought my baby along. So with three very excited, very young women sitting outside the base medrash of Tarabadas. And the entire base medrash walked right by us. And then we saw from the pictures, we knew him. And the and the Gabay, and we saw the Rosh Hashiva himself. And they also walked by us. And we were so relieved, almost, such babies. And they opened up the door to the entire, to, to Torvadas, and the entire base medrash got up. And this is so many years ago, and I received it so clearly. And they turned around, and they said, are you here to see the Rosh Hashiva to us? And we're like, yeah. And they said, right after the shir, the Rosh Hashiva wants to say, you to stay right after the shir, he'll see you. And Rapam himself closed the door and said, no, now. And he took us into his little office and he said, um, we told him what we want to do. We're telling us our dreams. We were just like, we couldn't believe that he was sitting with us. And he said, you know, you see the desk that you're sitting at? You know how many tears were shed because people did not have who to turn to? And he gave us such a bracha. And sometimes when I speak to women-only groups, I tell them, what did Rav Tom see? He saw three very young, excited women, and he believed in us. I mean, I sometimes, like I see the shasas on it, all the big events, they're mega. We do have a board of men and whatever, and rabbanim and gabbai and doctors. But Rav Tom saw us, and he believed in us. And I always think, I stop and I say, did the gabbai see this? Can you imagine what, what we cannot even imagine ourselves? I love we'll that. Very, very big. I love that he he saw that the bracha was coming through the women and the bracha was going to create this wonderful organization. And that's, that's so much in line with what Sarah and I keep bringing up through this podcast. And I love that Rav Palm said that and like communicated that so, so clearly. Your organization, Baruch Hashem, has really grown and expanded and has so many subdivisions now. Um, and 
I know that you collaborate with many, many professionals, doctors, different rabbanim, different therapists. Can you give us um, an example of how everyone comes together and works together in a case? Um, so first I have to tell you that at the very beginning, we had to teach the rabbanim about the halacha and we had to teach the doctors about the mikvah. Like even my doctor said, why, why can't you just send a letter what can you just send a letter? Why can't I just send a letter to your rabbi? Don't the rabbis want you to have children? Why can't you just do something that's against halacha? And I would tell my doctor, I don't want, I don't want to conceive a baby that way. But I want to just tell you a case study from this Friday. So how does it come together? So first, our initial mission was to be there for infertility, right? Um, to bring the information together, to light light up the journey, to be there medically every single step of the way. Um, and that expanded to um, supervision. We're in very, very many labs, uh, besides the great referral. <laughs> but supervision helped us even with the referral because our mashkichim, we have, like, I think they said 52. 52 mashkichim and mashkichot. And then we have a four or five or six mashkichim. So that expanded to um, knowing the labs sitting in the laboratories and, and see what happens in the labs and being very familiar with what the labs are doing helps us with the referral too. Um, this expanded to pre-cancer fertility preservation because if we, we need to be there to assure that there's a future, you know, with pre-cancer fertility preservation. So it brought us access into, let's say, Sloan Kettering, Columbia Presbyterian, which expanded to... <laughs> Um, pediatric gynecology, pediatric oncology, which suddenly brought us to women's women's um, women's health, which brought us to regular women's health to women who are, are expecting a little baby that has no ovaries, has or or no uterus, or we have to just be there. Um, which now we added a group with, of post hormonal cancers, also came from post hysterectomy which brought us to the losses. So first we started with the women that didn't have any children because they had many losses, where we're like, suddenly we have to take care of people who had losses. Then we had like even stillborn babies, you know, I had a stillborn baby. Part of my journey, like it's also something which was so painful that I cry when I, when I talk about it, when I had my stillborn baby was 18 years ago. And that's like sort of when we were dabbling in loss. And I remember not being sure if I could hold her, can I say goodbye? And that brought us to establishing hug, where we have very clear direction on on what we do when our baby is stillborn and we do Kavira, we pay for a Kadisha. Because I also came from like when I finally got better and I moved on, I got a bill for eighteen hundred dollars from Khabra Kadisha. It was like she cried. And we don't want our couples to have that. So we arrange Chavra Kadisha, we pay for Chavra Kadisha. Then Chumi uh, Friedman, who runs Hag, she's awesome. So we used to have a group of us that would go to the births and to help the mommy say goodbye, right? And they, you know, to help them to have them with their babies, to give the baby to Chavra Kadisha. That now moved on to really a doula should be there. So Chami, now in order to be go to these births for hug, you have to be a certified doula. So even myself, I've done these births. Even I had to become a certified doula. 
because Chami wouldn't give me any of the of the birth. So I just, you know, so we came into it. So that went on to that. Um, and then we moved on to all women's health, the Chaba, because we said, okay, well, one big mishmash. All the fertility-like stuff, we need to get our experts in infertility, and then we need to get our experts in in Chava, in all women's health, from birth to menopause. And then we established the Institute of Halacha and Technology. So, and I'll tell you my case study, because I know if you ask for a case, a case that you can view that's not even finished yet, a case that's not even finished yet, where everybody has to convene um, on Thanksgiving weekend. And the Institute of Halacha and Technology teaches Rabbanim, you want Rabbanim to say yes. You don't want them to say no, right? And and you need them to say yes if they're familiar, right? If they're familiar, they're full yes. Um, even supervision has to be covered. You know, when we featured the last, the biggest breakthrough, I think, of our decade it was the uterine transplant. So we bought, the, when this happened, we brought Dr. Falcone into the city, to Manhattan, I think four or five years ago. Um, if you look out, you'll see we're featuring ovarian transplant now became a thing, and we're featuring it in December. And the doctor is in Tel Shomer and Eretz Yisrael. We're Zooming with him. That's a gift we got from COVID. But before COVID, we brought the doctor in, and our Zion got up and said, I am mother uterine transplant. And Baruch Hashem, we have a few babies already from uterine transplant. So we need our Dianim to come along with us, and they need to be abreast. And because medicine, Baruch Hashem, is so fast, you don't want to be held back by halacha. So the case study, right? Okay. So, so I'm, women, uh, I'm just going to say one thing um, for everyone who's listening. Tyra doesn't hold us back. We just have to be um, aware of the loopholes. It's knowledge, right? So the more knowledgeable we make our, our rabbanim, the more knowledge that can be applied to help us. Um, so halacha is never holding us back, even when it feels like Oh, it. totally, totally. It's wonderful. But everybody wants, if they're going to consider, especially having a baby, you want to know that you're backed by halacha. That's for some. Torah doesn't, our rabbanim are amazing. Our rabbanim are, the doctors are awed by our rabbanim. And the very difficult decisions that they make. But, like, even supervision, there was, like, a two or three-day yantif recently and somebody went into the city for a procedure. So we do, we have a great Shabbos program. So our Shabbos program puts them in hotels, gives them food, gives them supervision, really sets up because a lot of the times the call will come right before Shabbos. And then there's like a, a lot of halakhic questions. Am I allowed to go up by elevator or from post procedure? Many different things that we're familiar that we will prepare them for. Um, so of course, so recently someone was just crying to one of the Dayanim that he, his mother is an Almana. It was the first year she lost her father and he's the only son. And he was like, and I'm going to be away the whole Yantif and he got a Hesser to come home, but also with the right, you know, with the right car, whatever. Of course, Halacha is so specific, this Torah. And of course it's so specific to the Rav that you the Diane and Rod that you go to. Like, we're very into, like, what does your Diane say? We have our own ruling, but we're very respectful on what your Diane and say. Um, Rifki, I agree with you. Chas Vishantar doesn't hold you back. No, I know um, that you agree with me, Brani. We, 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 we see each other on the same wavelength. I just wanted to make sure uh, people listening 
don't have to come away with the right idea because we have abundance on every i'm in the lakewood office now i'm seeing to lakewood office and I'm, from the Spanish Cabal, we had 10 Rabbanim training here a few days ago. So every community wants to learn. They're amazing. We've had Hasidish Rabbanim, Lutish Rabbanim, Chabad Rabbanim, Lubavitch Rabbanim, Sephardi Rabbanim. Whoever wants to learn, we teach them. We're happy to teach them. And we have the doctors speak to them. And I can tell you the doctors are blown away. They are blown away by um, our Zion teaches the Smicha program in YU. And he comes with all his, like his whole of us, and they're like blown away by him. His English is impeccable. Baruch Hashem, our Dayanim are amazing. We have a Dayan on staff here. If we're here long enough, you'll see him come in. <laughs> He's a Dayan on staff. He comes He, he comes and does the, the Shalas, Dayna Sarim. He learns the whole day, and he, two to four is Dayna Sarim in Lakewood, and he's here every day at two to four. He comes in, answers Shalas. Um, so the Torah does not hold us back at all. The case study. So just this weekend on Thanksgiving weekend, a woman came in from Maritishal. She's American and no insurance, no insurance or whatever. She was bleeding super heavily and um, had no doctor, had nobody. Um, she did have a fibroid that they had set to remove. Um, she was past childbearing years, but it was Thanksgiving weekend. So we sent her into a local hospital here in Lakewood. She was in Lakewood. We sent to the local hospital, and they were like, um, complete hysterectomy. But there was nobody on staff to hysterectomy. We were very uncomfortable with, like, just the hospitals. Are you complete hysterectomy? And she kept saying, I really want to do the mitzvah of again. Like, I really don't want a hysterectomy. Anyway, we were able to bring, stabilize her and bring her to a different hospital. This is all Erev Shabbos, where they just stopped the bleeding and were working on a surgeon all day today. I took a break now to see who would take her today, tomorrow, but we don't want her to go into surgery before we confirm that it definitely is the only option. And it has to be somebody who's willing to do this without insurance. Um, and of course, Arab Shabbos, when this was like so scary, um, our Dayanim had to come in with their ruling. And our Dayan keeps his phone open the whole Shabbos he keeps it over the whole Shabbos to see to, um, to, for emergencies. Um, also, it also meant having um, personal emails and phone numbers to surgeons. Like if they're not in Hawaii for Thanksgiving, if they're around, if they can secure OR time for us. Baruch Hashem, everyone's back at their desks today, but they're very, very overwhelmed. So, and she's fine. Her bleeding is stable now. Her numbers are good so far, but the emergency isn't over. Over. So this is really not, let's say, an, it's more like a Chava type of case, not an A-time type of case. Um, of course, while this is happening, there's a million other things happening. So we're also dealing with somebody who had um, two C-sections and hasn't conceived in a very long time. And when, was, when they examined them with full of scar tissue, which is terrible, so they, then they need a surgeon that will be able to remove scar tissue without creating new scar tissue. So this is a Chava slash A-time type of thing. Um, now when we get their files, when we get their files, then these files will be sent to prominent surgeons that can say if they can fix this. 
Um, recently, we had something that was so crazy, so out of the box, where a woman was scheduled to do IVF cycle. And for some reason, the doctor decided that her brain may show this different pre, pre, um, pre-IVF protocol. Um, he ascended for MRI because he didn't like her movements of her hands, and he was scared that she might be, have, be at the beginning of MS. And she took a scan locally, and she was scheduled to start on Monday morning but did not get the results of the scan. And they weren't sure. They said if she has MS, then they're not doing the IVF. So he needed to clear that she doesn't have MS and she wasn't getting the scans also because it's Thanksgiving weekend. Um, so here we worked with Beaker Holm of Lakewood. They knew the people in the hospital were able to get the scans, but there was no doctor to read it. So Anna Haskunim group, he said, if, if, they don't, if I don't get an all clear, and it doesn't even have to be in writing, it could be a verbal um, acknowledgement that she doesn't have MS. If I, if I get that verbally, then she can start her meds in the morning. Um, or she can start, I'm not sure what she's due for in the morning. I could check, I could check the computer to see. But on an Askanim group, we got a doctor in Eritrea to read her scan. He gave her an all clear. And we got it early, early in the morning. The doctor is a from doctor. He was at Shachris. We had somebody, a volunteer, go into the doctor to just tell him that the scan was all clear because she head into the IVF center. So we were able to do an all clear. So this is like, these are like not the typical, but they all in a day in a time and Thanksgiving. What amazing stories. I'm getting emotional listening to these stories. And this is like a typical day for you. It's, it's absolutely incredible what you do and what your organization does. When a lot of talking- people are involved. I, I, I just read the, I just hear about it because they're so excited when they get that answer. But I'm really director of number services now. I make sure that like, you know, people that are running out different services are happy and doing their job. So they'll call me and say, Bronnie, you know what happened? And sometimes people will call me because they, they know my name. So they'll call me. So if I can help them, I do, of course. Well, I'll bring them to the best people in a time. When you were talking about the uh, infertility story, it made me wonder how, how much does a cycle of infertility cost? And the reason why I'm asking that is because in Canada, so I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to you from Toronto, it's covered by national health care. So if a woman is under 43, one free cycle is covered. One cycle is covered by, the, by OHIP. And I know in Israel, they also have some similar rules. I don't even know if it's limited in Israel, right? It could be unlimited. So in the U.S. I think it, yeah. Yeah. So in the U.S., so because of okay, Eretz Yisrael, they can go up to two children. They're very good. And a lot of the research comes from Eretz Yisrael because they keep trying. Um, in America, every state is different. Every center is different. And every cycle is different. So if, it, if it's a typical IVF cycle in a typical IVF center, it probably will go to about 15000 If it's pre-cancer, what we do, um, but then we come in with, if people cycle through a time, we get a substantial discount. Like, you know, we get like 25% off, plus we have so much medication, we have resources, whatever exists out there. If anyone comes out there and does any type of, there's, um, and we do, we do free loans also. If there's any type of or any organization that comes out and says we can help financially, we'll get out there and, you know, get 
get whatever we can for our couples. But I want you to know that some states are different. Some states are better. And very often a doctor will want to add different things to a cycle that they'll call us and they say, do you think we should do cold culture? Do you think we should do certain, certain things are protocol. Certain things are always protocol. Um, if we can get meds from different places, we will. I just have to tell you also that we really try, and I wish I could do this on a national level before I die. I always say this before I like, you know, if we could somehow do this across America, like New Jersey is pretty good. New York is pretty good with fertility. If we can somehow across America mandate the coverage of infertility treatments across America, you know, when you have a couple that's cycling, when they could afford it, or to show, there's so many stresses associated with this. And the organizations do help. A lot of organizations do help, and they help nicely. But there's always money left for the couple, and every try is so expensive. We don't charge for supervision. We do supervision. We don't charge for supervision. Um, that Baruch Hashem is like one of the things that we do. We feel that it's so valid, even though centers are pretty good, but knowing that there's someone meeting you in the center, knowing that you're a hundred percent, it's yours, it's put away, you know, it's a very good feeling, but I wish we could change that. I really wish we could change that. We try, we always try, we're always advocating, but I'm waiting for someone who had gone through infertility to just do this. One of the people in government to just say, you guys at least have to do diagnostics. Do diagnostics. Usually when a person is going through fertility, there's something. There's a reason. The unexplained group is is not the largest group. There's something. There's PCOS. There's a chocolate illness. There's anything that might a hormonal imbalance. These things are medical. It's 30 years. We made some changes. Baruch Hashem, but we really wish we made a lot more. Because of the cost, do you ever, after a couple has tried a couple of times, will you ever say, Ad Khan, now it's time for adoption? Never. 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 You don't do that. Never. We push them again. And again, you find another way. You find another way. We do that after loss also. It's so hard to do Pregnancy after loss is so scary. You, this is the only way. The only way is to try again. And we always like convene. We meet and we say with the doctors, "What are you doing different now? What are you going to do different this cycle? What, what are we doing different?" And we speak to them, like, "What are we doing different right now?" Interesting. The most uh, awesome thing that I can just share is that for me, I look at rain. I just spoke with Chodesh. I spoke at an event, like a Rosh event, and I was so excited to speak about rain because I look at rain as something that's such a reminder that we have a God. Nobody can mimic rain. Nobody can do that. Um, maybe in a, in a studio for a little bit, but no one could do it as grand as a Kaddish Barso. And he says, because I hold the key to rain, and he says, I also hold the key to children. So being on this journey, I was also to see so many breakthroughs and they can force, they do things called assisted hatching. They, they can force eggs to, they can do so many things. There is not a physician or a doctor in the entire universe that can do conception. Because Akadosh Farfu says, that's my key. 
So regardless of how amazing a cycle looks, there's always that two-week wait. They send them home and they say like, you know, we always tell them that that's time to dive in because Hashem holds the key. But sometimes you'll see things that look so perfect and they're not matzliach and it's, it's so painful. But you know that Hashem said no. He just said no and you try again. So that sometimes we'll say like maybe bring in a new tefillah. I always tell people daven when you say for women this is my tefillah. The sunny kirtzono. You made me according to your design, and you made it so painful for me when I want to have a baby and it doesn't happen. So help me, you know, just help me. You want you designed me to want children, so then help me. I, I that's the place where I daven for everything. By the way, my secret place. I always, I always feel that tears are so powerful. And this, I was saying, Rabbi Zahaba Barthi, we was, we had this class of starting a time, and she was a big support system at the very beginning. Um, she always said that tears are so powerful. So if you cry because you're hormonal, or you cry because of whatever, even she says, even when you're cutting onions, turn it into a tefila. Those tears are so powerful. You're, so you're speaking very strongly about the ruchniistic aspect of having children. What about the emotional component of that? Oh, all, all the time. All the time. So the emotional part. So no one said it more eloquently than Rachali Menu. And she says, I feel like I'm no one. So me, I was geo president elementary and high school. I was like such a big, important like just so important and when I didn't have any children I felt so little the emotional part you do feel like failure it was only recently at one of the retreats and my husband said something that was so powerful that I really wish I could have heard it earlier so yes we deal with it I feel like the biggest emotional support that we give is our existence that we didn't run away from infertility I feel like roughly Maynu did that I even think that when we bench our girls to be like Sarah Rifkel and Rachel and Leah, we are saying, look at them. It's such a very strong thing for infertility. Look who they became despite this very, very difficult Nisayan. It is emotionally a great trauma. It's so hard. But no matter what I did in my life, if I didn't have a baby, I felt like a failure. And interesting that my husband said this at the retreat. I'd love to share it for anyone who's listening because it was so powerful for me. I wish I would have heard it. Which is Hagar looks at Sarah and she says, and Hagar is very pregnant and Sarah isn't. And she says, and he read it from the Hamas. And he's saying this to women who are dealing with this very difficult Nisayan sometimes for years. And he says, Hagar says, you know, I used to think that Sarah was a Tadekis. Well, I don't think so anymore. Look, I got pregnant. She didn't. And I remember it becoming so deathly quiet. And he said, and that's how the mother of Ishmael speaks. And it was so powerful because he was saying right now, this is, so difficult and people may look at you and say oh maybe she's not for whatever why didn't Hashem give her a baby and, they, and you may feel so little but no one knows the master plan nobody really knows the master plan but this is not something that's easy to process when you fail a cycle 
The pain is so intense. I remember talking to one of the people who does grief, that does grief so well, and he spoke to our helpline, and he was talking about grief. And when we left, I said to him, I said, you did an amazing job, but we still don't understand is the monthly grief. It's a monthly grief. It's torture. It, you feel like a failure. You, you feel like you're, you're really like the apparent. You watch people move on. Every, every Sankha is so difficult. Every, every Shabbos is so difficult sometimes. Um, and you try to live. Our biggest message is you live. You, you don't have to be right now, but you do have a life. You're somebody. And this is the biggest message. Like we, we always give them. In fact, like Eric Lusach, we have, I live in Tom's River and we have a shul in Tom's River and we have a slip of having Reb Zevlov's daughter, Davin in our shul. And Reb Zevlov was there for Pesach. So we said, come and speak to our couples. And, and people came from everywhere. Couples marry quite a bit because Pesach is so hard. Pesach is so hard because like kind of Shoel, everything is about the children. What is it about for our couples? I remember um, one of the Yungalot said to Rabbi Lev, if Pesach is about giving over the Mesorah to your children, what is it for me? And Rabbi Lev, who's also to have a beautiful family and grandchildren, he apologized before he gave that answer. But he said, are you worried about giving over the Mesorah to the next generation? So he's like, yeah. So he says, you know, who you are at a simcha, who you are in the grocery, shopping for Pesach. People know in a firm community that you don't have any children. Who you are at a bris, who you are at a simcha Torah is the biggest Mesorah for Kali Yisrael. People look at someone going through infertility and they're smiling and they're living they know how difficult it is, Zionist, because it's verbalized so much in the Torah. And they're so amazed and impressed by them. They go to Shul Sanfas Torah and they say, I am. Go to Shul Sanfas Torah, they dance with the Torah, and they still open the scissors sometimes, but they're so sad. And they feel like Hashem forgot them. And they dub in. There's nothing greater than that, really. And that's why I think we venture our girls to be like, Sarah, Rick, Rachel, Leah. Let's tell you, in fact, um, in fact, one of the Rabbanin asked them at one of our retreats, he said, why did HaKadosh Baruch Hu give infertility as a Nisayon to our Imahos? And the answer is because he wanted that to see, he wanted them to daven. So he said, you don't understand. He wanted that type of tefillah, the tefillah that someone davens to have a child. So he said, it's such a bad massive in Eretz Yishol, it's a bad massive then. Daven for Achayelim, daven for the massive in Eretz Yisrael, because your tefillah is what Hashem wants. So when you daven for children, don't forget the rest of Chal Yisrael. But it gets emotionally, it's extremely hard. I love that you're, you're speaking about the emotional aspect of this, because I think sometimes people who are blessed right away with children in overabundance don't realize how the communal factor of being a from person really impacts the pain and suffering that a from couple suffers through much more than another couple. Um, can you talk a little bit about the medical portion of what you're doing or what infertility looks like from a medical standpoint? So, okay, so very good. So that, that I, I just want to say for the, the community that's listening, and everybody wants to be sensitive, that um, to just look at the person going through infertility and don't look at them as someone who doesn't have a baby, but look at them as someone 
who is living such a difficult science so beautifully and find something, something that you can, I, I always say that Hannah told, Panina told Hannah, I'm going to buy shoes for my children. And that was so painful. It's so painful. Okay. About the medical part. So infertility is defined by trying to have children for a year and not being successful. Most couples will conceive the first year, and then there's like 30% that will conceive the second year. Um, usually, normal cycles, when people, when a woman has normal cycles, that's a very, very good sign that she's ovulating. Um, and very often, it can be a male issue and a woman's issue. It doesn't necessarily have to be female infertility. It could be both. Um, diagnostics. So diagnostics take a while. Um, there are different things that may cause infertility that are very clear, like very famous, very out there is polycystic ovarian syndrome, PCOS, uh, anatomical issues. As a college teacher, if you will know, like sometimes you can figure this out very early on that there's an anatomical issue. Um, the anatomical issues, sometimes there's issues with pelvic pain, there's different types of things. But the way NIDA was designed was designed that a woman should get pregnant. Um, the rule of thumb is that 14 days before someone gets their period, they ovulate. And there are signs of ovulation. So when we get a couple that's married a year, they come to us, we will always do background and check and see, you know, are things normal in their relationship? Are things normal? Is their period normal? If things, are, if things seem normal, it's time to move them on to what we call a reproductive endocrinologist. The physicians that we refer to are called REs. And the reproductive endocrinologists are OBGYNs who specialize in reproductive endocrinology. Um, the whole fertility, the, everything is, is chemistry. It's all chemistry. And fertility is controlled by the brain. So the very first fertility meds that are offered to a woman who's not ovulating stimulate the brain to stimulate the ovaries. And as they move on through their fertility journey, they will stimulate the ovaries directly. These are very, very powerful medications, but they have to be controlled and watched very, very carefully. That means when a woman is put on to any medication that stimulates the ovaries directly, she will have to come in for blood and ultrasound very often so the doctor sees that everything is safe. Then there are different ways to test a man that are holistically permissible. Um, one of the, some of the things is so simplistic that everyone allows. Um, and then we would check. And then there's hormones. There's always blood. Blood is a very, very good sign of things that are relatively normal by men, by women. Hormones are, you can, you can, you can test a lot of things by blood. But things are very tricky because cycles, you could test something day three, you'll get a different reading. That's day 15. That's why it's really important to work with somebody who's familiar. And then we work in three. So we do three cycles of stimulating the brain, three cycles of stimulating the ovaries, and then we move to three cycles of something a little low tech. And after we fail those three cycles, we will move on to IVF. Unless, unless someone had an illness that they're, they're very, 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 very beginning, they will check to see that anatomically everything's okay. But 
for men and for women, there could be blockages, and then you need to bypass that and do IVF. There are couples that come to us to do IVF to rule out any illnesses. So sometimes if you want to rule out a genetic illness, you can, you can bypass that with IVF. So they'll do IVF to make sure that their children will not be carriers of the disease. Um, when they move on to IVF, that already becomes a whole new journey. So most couples that we see are not moving to IVF. It's like probably 30%, 30 to 40%. Most couples will be like the ovulation, a little bit of him, a little bit of her. But we always tell a couple that it's not his or her thing. It's a couple's nisayan. It's their nisayan together. We do very strongly recommend. <laughs> I feel so bad to say this because I know that everybody wants to get married, but older singles should freeze their eggs. Um, we do sometimes, it, it used to be that eggs were not, were frozen, you could freeze, but success in freezing anything is when you thaw it and it equals the baby. And I remember, I don't go to the medical conferences so much anymore, but there's a big conference, it's called the American Society for Reinfected Medicine. I was going to go this year again, Like I, I just like, just interested again, we help a bunch of medical people go. They have every breakthrough in infertility. I remember when they announced that they can freeze eggs and thaw them and they equal baby. And it was so exciting. It was such an exciting thing for older single girls to freeze their eggs till America Sunday find their bachelors and hopefully never ever use those eggs. Now they can freeze eggs, embryos, they freeze everything so successfully that sometimes we do an IVF cycle and we'll freeze the little babies. We'll say you're too stressed out to start a pregnancy. Let's freeze. Give yourself a month of massage, relaxation, whatever. Get yourself ready for food. Sleep well, eat well. Time together as a couple. And then we'll do the transfer after. We'll do the, the last part of the IVF and get better success rates that way. So frozen eggs are allowed holistically, I would say, across the board to freeze the eggs. And we do have a whole, like a team that will hold their hands. If, you, if you're out there listening, that is about 10000 which And then you get a discount from the time or whatever. Um, at the very, very beginning, we only want you to freeze by the doctor that did the breakthrough because we trusted her. And then we started her protocol is with you all over. I wanted to, if it was okay with you, I wanted to go back to something that you touched upon when you said it's a couple's issue. But I need to say the couple's issue is that we, we meet that like as an emotional thing. If it's best for her to marry him, I like for some couples, she may be perfectly fine and he isn't. And he, he may be perfect. He might have the issue and she, she's perfectly fine. Um, our thing is, what I mean is a couple's issue, especially for them as a couple to go through this together. I just like I also think I would take this opportunity to tell the parents um, that if, if they may be sharing, they may have shared with you as young couple or even as a husband and couple, or as a team, everything. You knew everything about everything. And then they get married and they don't want to share and it's not because they don't like you anymore. And it's not because their husband says, don't play your mother. It's because now, first of all, I look at what goes on with fertility as real bedroom stuff. And a lot of the exams are very embarrassing. There's a lot of shame. 
So it could be that they don't want to share their husband's thing. They don't want to share. They're like, I have to say also that interesting that when they're respecting, the, when they get that positive, the first thing they always tell us is, what can I tell my mother? They want to share. And sometimes I think for our couples, if for a woman, let's say she has to be there for her husband, for herself, and it's too draining for her to be the family therapist also. Oh, okay, mom, okay. So if you could help, like, not asking that much and not feeling hurt, not feeling hurt by them not sharing. And I have to tell you, we don't say don't share with your mother and father. We don't say that. We're like, whatever you're comfortable doing. But imagine having to go through an IVF cycle, which is such so traumatic. If you want to give them, help them financially, that you could. You could write the check. But I, I know I said this to somebody who said to me, it was Eric Pesach, I want to help my kids. I said, and I knew she said, write the check. I said, so write them the check. Does the girl write Pesach with a piece of jewelry? So she's like, I have a feeling that I bought her that piece of jewelry with the check. I gave her the money for treatment. So I said, you know what? I don't know if that isn't treatment. I don't know. We don't know what's going on. Maybe that piece of jewelry that made her feel, I don't know if that, we don't know if that is really what she is then. But um, I think it's important to see them for who they are, not all the couple that doesn't have any children. A lot of them are very accomplished. They, they're, you know, educators. They're, they're, they're amazing. Even that they, that they work on them, you know, that they have marriages, that they, if they want to make Shabbos alone, let them make Shabbos alone. Be so proud of them how they prepare. Um, if they want to make Yom alone, let them make Yom alone. It's very, very important to give them their space. I remember that we were talking about that go to convention now, Rishi. So we once had like someone speak, a lawyer, and I remember someone saying at the go to convention, get up and said, "What do you people want? We invite you to some kind you get upset. We don't invite you to some kind you get upset. We we give you class or you get upset. We don't give you class or you get upset. Who will never get upset if you don't give them class? By the way, someone said something very sharp at one of our things once. He said. I think it was from Aaron Tursi. He said, clutter is the school to be embarrassed. If you care about a couple, stop in for them. But don't tell them you stop in for them. Stop in for them. That's like the biggest thing you could do. Um, but they asked him, so tell us, what do you want? So he said, we want that respect that you ask us and we can say no. We appreciate you asked us, but I can tell you from doing this so many years that I, I really understand the Vern Shigosim and Holly. I really get it. Like, people know if you say, how are you, and you want to know if she's feeling with her fertility okay, they know this. You know in second grade that your teacher felt very good about herself. They really understand what you're asking them. If you say, how are you, just as a friend, they know if you ask them what you're doing, and it means, like, are you pregnant? They know. They really know who they're safe with. And that brings me to my biggest thing that I always tell everybody is the verb aren't words. Your heart is not necessarily, you don't even need the words. Be a friend, be a mommy, be a sister. Um, if you understand this horrific pain and you understand what Panina said, I'm going to fight shoot my children. Try not to talk about your children so much. I know I have some others who are so wonderful. They put 
they don't put they don't display pictures of the other grandchildren because it's too painful. I have mothers too when their other daughter has a baby, they before they go to the hospital see the new baby, they they buy the couple that's going for fertility something. Just a reminder that we love you, regardless of whether or not a country spark will put you through the I love that. This is such such important information that people do need to hear. Um, before we wrap up, is there any words of wisdom? I know I feel like uh, we speak a lot towards women, maybe because women are naturally more inclined to like reach out to their friends and reach out to each other and create support. But if a couple is listening to this episode together, is there anything that you would want to tell um, specifically the man or specifically the, the wife about what the man is going through? So, that is so <laughs> you know, it's so hard with you. As a college teacher, you know there's no answer because it's so case by case, right? Empathy is the biggest thing. The number one thing is trying to see what's bothering them so much now. My sister is expecting. It's so hard for me. If they say it to you, then just say, yes, it's so hard for me. Not like, oh, we have a house or we have a whatever. Um, feeling along with what's hurting that person. Some of they tell me, Bonnie, what can I do that or make it easier? But it's so specific per person. It's so specific per couple. But as long as you take a minute and try to think, what is your, what does your spouse need from you right now? And, and, and just hear them out. And I always like do marriage for a time. We do a marriage workshop for a time. I always like, I always try to do the verbal thoughts for couples. Say, I need you at, I need you at your, my mother, but I think before you do that, you have to think what you need. I need you to just check me out at a meal for my mother and wait to me. I, I need you to let me leave that somehow. Like if I go to the breast and I find the painful, I need you just to, like your mother says, say, I need you to come with me then. Those are the biggest supportive things, but empathy, like getting that that, that is painful. And it may seem silly, but remember that Fanina said, I'm buying shoes for my children. It's documented for the ages that, that certain things, like interesting that a couple told me, they said they're never going back to their parents again. And I was talking to the mother. They went, I guess that they will never go back again. And the mother said, because there was a newborn baby there, her sister came there, where maybe I said, you know, perhaps it could be a bad sign. It could be that not they don't walk around and never want to see babies, but if they just fail the cycle, it's like you have an open wound. Some of you are like, oh, it's this so sensitive. Yes, they are so sensitive. It's it's as if like me, I have Eric Pesach, I always manage to burn myself. So because I burn myself, this Eric Pesach, it doesn't hurt me anymore, it does hurt me. Every time they they have they always say they, they're so so sensitive. Yeah, they're so so sensitive. When you have an open wound, you're so so sensitive. So the big thing is to really think what might be painful, and this is really for couples. The outside world, just, and for our couples also, I always tell them, this is an opportunity to learn piano. This is an opportunity to take long looks at your husband. This is an opportunity to really live and not to let the years fly by, you know, fly by. And build a beautiful home that a message you will bring a beautiful baby into. Me. Um, is there anything you want to leave our listeners with? Any last thoughts or, you know, resource or anything that you think that they really should know about? Um, so anyone who's listening who's going for infertility, don't hesitate to call us. Um, there's no question too small, too big. Um, 
So our, our main number is 718-686-8912, and this will bring you to a directory that can basically tell you all our, our, our programs and resources. I just want to leave without mentioning the group that is mine, um, with, and also the parents. We have support groups of parents as well. So if you want to reach out, if your family is going through this and you feel you're not supportive, groups of friends call us sometimes. Sometimes we do phone meetings with the therapist. And it's very helpful because people are hurt to see a friend in pain. Uh, my group is girls that have known fertility issues, no ovaries, no uterus, or post-cancer. Up until recently, the girls who had no uterus did not have any hope, and now we're featuring a, uter- a ovarian transplant. But this past Shabbos, they had a retreat. The girls had a retreat. They got together. We're there. This is something that's very dear to me. Um, and that's where I was telling you I became a college teacher because I want to teach college teachers how to teach these girls. So just know if you're out there, that's singlesatatimes.org. Um, and very often I answer those emails myself. I love that. And Bronnie, I don't think you remember. I met you years and years ago, and you you gave a um, you gave a talk to the college teacher training here in Crown Heights. And at the end, you were sitting next to me and you said, Rifki, I think I want to be a college teacher. <laughs> I'm, so glad. I'm so glad that that's what you're doing because I remember thinking you know she really should not even just because of your experience it's just like your persona so thank you so 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 much um for giving us the time today for giving our listeners the time today because anyone who is going through this I have to tell you um a time is made up of wonderful amazing people every single time that I put someone in touch with either um, Humi or Rani or anyone like everyone calls me back and goes you know they're so warm and caring and I think that it's more than even just the professional care is that investment that they know that even if you're at your son's upturnish you're going to step out and really you know make sure the person has what they need and it's incredible so we're very lucky as a community to have you um, all of you we big you um, so continue doing the wonderful, beautiful, amazing work that you're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed and grew. Original music of Shamil's Nigan provided by Hazan David Katak. We look forward to your input, feedback, and suggestions. We also have partnership opportunities available. Please email info at bodiessouls.com. Again, info at bodiessouls.com with two S's. Thank you.